Chapter Ten of The Gods Are Athirst. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K Hand. The Gods Are Athirst by Anatole France, translated by Mrs. Wilfred Jackson. Chapter Ten. On Saturday at seven in the morning, the Citoyen Blaise in a black cocked hat scarlet waistcoat doe-skin breeches and boots with yellow tops rapped with the handle of his riding-whip at the studio door the citoyenne gamelin was in the room in polite conversation with the citoyen brotteaux while Évariste stood before a bit of a looking-glass nodding his high white cravat a pleasant journey monsieur blaise the citoyenne greeted him but as you are going to paint landscapes why don't you take monsieur brotteaux who is a painter well well says jean blaise will you come with us citoyen brotteaux on being assured he would not be intruding brotteaux a man of a sociable temper and fond of all amusements accepted the invitation the citoyenne elodie had climbed the four stories to embrace the widow gamelin whom she called her good mother she was in white from head to foot and smelt of lavender an old two-horsed travelling berline stood waiting in the place with the hood down rose thevenin occupied the back seat with julien hassard elodie made the actress sit on the right took the left-hand place herself and put the slim julien between the two of them Brotteaux settled himself back to the horses facing the citoyenne thevenin Philippe Dubois opposite the citoyenne Hassard, Evariste opposite Elodie. As for Philippe de Mahis, he planted his athletic figure on the box on the coachman's left and proceeded to amaze that worthy a traveller's tale about a country in America where the trees bore chitterlings and saveloys by way of fruit. The citoyen Blaise, who was a capital rider, took the road on horseback, going in front to escape the dust from the Berlin as the wheels rattled merrily over the suburban roads the travellers began to forget their cares and at sight of the green fields and trees and sky their minds turned to gay and pleasant thoughts elodie dreamed she was surely born to rear poultry with evariste a country justice to help her in some village on a river bank beside a wood the roadside elms whirled by as they sped along Outside the villages, the peasants' mastiffs dashed out to intercept the carriage and barked at the horses, while a fat spaniel, lying in the roadway, struggled reluctantly to its feet. The fowls scattered and fled, the geese in a close-packed band waddled slowly out of the way. The children, with their fresh morning faces, watched the company go by. It was a hot day in a cloudless sky. The parched earth was thirsting for rain. They alighted just outside ville juif on their way through the little town desmahis went into a fruiterer's to buy cherries for the overheated citoyennes the shopkeeper was a pretty woman and desmahis showed no signs of reappearing philippe dubois shouted to him using the nickname his friends constantly gave him ho there barbaro barbaro at this hated name the passers-by pricked up their ears and faces appeared at every window then when they saw a young and handsome man emerge from the shop his jacket thrown open his neckerchief flying loose over a muscular chest and carrying over his shoulders a bag of cherries in his coat at the end of a stick taking him for the proscribed girondist 
a posse of sansculottes laid violent hands on him regardless of his indignant protests they would have hailed him to the town hall had not old Brotteaux, gamelin and the three young women borne testimony that the citoyen was named philippe desmaïs a copper-plate engraver and a good jacobin even then the suspect had to show his carte de civisme which he had in his pocket by great good luck for he was very heedless in such matters at this price he escaped from the hands of these patriotic villagers without worse loss than one of his lace ruffles which had been torn off but this was a trifle after all he even received the apologies of the national guards who had hustled him most savagely and who now spoke of carrying him in triumph to the hotel de ville a free man and with the citoyennes elodie rose and julien crowding round him desmahis looked at philippe de bois he did not like the man and suspected him of having played him a practical joke with a wry smile and towering above him by a whole head dubois he told him if you call me barbaro again i shall call you brissot he is a little fat man with a silly face greasy hair and oily skin and damp hands they'll be perfectly sure you are the infamous brissot the people's enemy and the good republicans filled with horror and loathing at the sight of you will hang you from the nearest lamp-post you hear me the citoyen blaise who had been watering his horse announced that he had arranged the affair though it was quite plain to everybody that it had been arranged without him the company got in again and as they drove on desmaïs informed the coachman that in this same plain of longjumeau several inhabitants of the moon had once come down in shape and color much like frogs only very much bigger philippe dubois and gamelin talked about their art dubois a pupil of renault had been to rome where he had seen raphael's tapestries which he set above all the masterpieces of the world he admired corgio's coloring annabalcraki's invention domenichino's drawing but thought nothing comparable in point of style with the pictures of pompeo battoni he had been in touch at rome with monsieur Mejanot and madame lebrun who had both pronounced against the revolution so the less said of them the better but he spoke highly of angelica kaufmann who had a pure taste and a fine knowledge of the antique gamelin deplored that the apogee of french painting belated as it was for it only dated from le Sur, claude and poussin and corresponded with the decadence of the italian and flemish schools had been succeeded by so rapid and profound a decline this he attributed to the degraded state of manners and to the academy which was the expression of that state but the academy had been happily abolished and under the influence of new canons david and his school were creating an art worthy of a free people among the young painters gamelin without a trace of envy gave the first place to hennequin and topino lebun philippe dubois preferred his own master renaud to david and founded his hopes for the future of painting on that rising artist gerard meantime elodie complimented the citoyenne thevenine on her red velvet toque and white gown the actress repaid the compliment by congratulating her two companions on their toilets and advising them how to do better still the thing she said was to be more sparing in ornaments and trimmings a woman can never be dressed too simply was her dictum we see this on the stage where the costume should allow every pose to be appreciated that is its true beauty and it needs no other you are right my dear replied elodie only there is nothing more expensive in dress than simplicity it is not always out of bad taste we add frills and furbelows sometimes it is to save our pockets 
they discussed eagerly the autumn fashions frocks entirely plain and short-waisted so many women disfigure themselves through following the fashion declared rose thevenin in dressing every woman should study her own figure there is nothing beautiful save draperies that follow the lines of the figure and fall in folds put in gamelin everything that is cut out and sewn is hideous these sentiments more appropriate in a treatise of winkelmann's than in the mouth of a man talking to parisiennes met with the scorn they deserved being entirely disregarded for the winter observed elodie they are making quilted gowns in lapland style of taffeta and muslin and coats a la zulim round-waisted and opening over a stomacher a la turk nasty cheap things declared the actress you can buy them ready-made now i have a little seamstress who works like an angel and is not dear i'll send her to see you my dear so they prattled on trippingly eagerly discussing and appraising different fine fabrics striped taffeta self-colored china silk muslin gauze nankeen an old Breteau, as he listened to them, thought with a pensive pleasure of these veils that hide women's charms and change incessantly. How they last for a few years to be renewed eternally like the flowers of the field. And his eyes, as they wandered from the three pretty women to the cornflowers and the poppies in the wheat, were wet with smiling tears. They reached the Orangie about nine o'clock and stopped before the inn, the Auberge de la Cloche, where the poitrines husband and wife offered accommodation for man and beast the citoyen blaise who had repaired any disorder in his dress helped the citoyennes to alight after ordering dinner for the midday they all set off preceded by their paint boxes drawing boards easels and parasols which were carried by a village lad for the meadows near the confluence of the orge and the yvette a charming bit of country giving a view over the verdant plain of l'angemu and bounded by the Seine and the woods of Saint Genevieve. Jean Blaise, the leader of the troop of artists, was bandying funny stories with a si divant financier, tales that brought in without rhyme or reason Verboquet the open handed, Catherine Cossat the peddler, the demoiselle Chaudron, the fortune teller Galichet, as well as characters of a later time like Cadet Rousseau and Madame Angot avariste inspired with a sudden love of nature as he saw a troop of harvesters binding their sheaves felt the tears rise to his eyes while visions of concord and affection filled his heart for his part desmaïs was blowing the light down of the seeding dandelions into the citoyen's hair all three loved posies as town-bred girls always do and were busy in the meadows picking the moyun whose blossoms grow in spikes close round the stem the campanula with its little bluebells hanging in rows one above another the slender twigs of the scented vervain wallwort mint dyer's weed milfoil all the wild flowers of late summer jean jacques had made botany the fashion among townswomen so all three knew the name and symbolism of every flower as the delicate petals drooping for want of moisture wilted in her hands and fell in a shower about her feet the citoyenne elodie sighed they are dying already the poor flowers all set to work and strove to express nature as they saw her but each saw her through the eyes of a master in a short time philippe de bois had knocked off in the style of hubert robert a deserted farm a clump of storm-riven trees a dried-up torrent Evariste gamelin found a landscape by poussin ready-made on the banks of the yvette philippe desmaïs was at work before a pigeon-coat in the picaresque manner of callot and du plessis 
old Brotteaux, who piqued himself on imitating the flemings was drawing a cow with infinite care elodie was sketching a peasant's hut while her friend julienne who was a color man's daughter set her palette a swarm of children pressed about her watching her paint whom she would scold out of her light at intervals calling them pestering gnats and giving them lollipops the citoyenne thevenin picking out the pretty ones would wash their faces kiss them and put flowers in their hair she fondled them with a gentle air of melancholy because she had missed the joy of motherhood as well as to heighten her fascinations by a show of tender sentiment and to practice herself in the art of pose and grouping she was the only member of the party neither drawing nor painting she devoted her attention to learning a part and still more to charming her companions flitting from one to another book in hand a bright entrancing creature no complexion no figure no voice no nothing declared the women and she filled the earth with movement color and harmony faded pretty tired indefatigable she was the joy of the expedition a woman of ever varying moods but always gay sensitive quick-tempered and yet easy-going and accommodating a sharp tongue with the most polished utterance vain modest true false delightful if rose thevenin enjoyed no triumphant success if she was not worshipped as a goddess it was because the times were out of joint and paris had no more incense no more altars for the graces the citoyenne blaze herself who made a face when she spoke of her and used to call her my stepmother could not see her and not be subjugated by such an array of charms they were rehearsing les visantadines at the theatre fedeau and rose was full of self-congratulation and having a part full of naturalness it was this quality she strove after this she sought and this she found then we shall not see pamela asked desmahis the theatre de la nation was closed and the actors packed off to the madelonettes and to pelagie do you call that liberty cried rose thevenin raising her beautiful eyes to heaven in indignant protest the players of the theatre de la nation are aristocrats and the citoyen francois's piece tends to make men regret the privileges of the noblesse gentlemen said rose thevenin have you patience to listen only to those who flatter you as midday approached everybody began to feel the pangs of hunger and the little band marched back to the inn Evariste walked beside elodie smilingly recalling memories of their first meetings two young birds had fallen out of their nests on the roof on to the sill of your window you brought the little creatures up by hand one of them lived and in due time flew away the other died in the nest of cotton wool you had made them it was the one i loved best i remember you said that day elodie you were wearing a red bow in your hair philippe dubois and brateau a little behind the rest were talking of rome where they had both been the latter in seventy-two the other towards the last days of the academy brateau indeed had never forgotten the princess mondragon to whom he would most certainly have poured out his plaints but for the count altieri who always followed her like her shadow nor did philippe de bois fail to mention that he had been invited to dine with cardinal de bernice and that he was the most obliging host in the world i knew him said brateau and i may add without boasting that i was for some while one of his most intimate friends he had a taste for low society 
he was an amiable man and for all his affectation of telling fairy tales there was more sound philosophy in his little finger than in the heads of all you jacobins who are for making us virtuous and god-fearing by act of parliament upon my word i prefer our simple-minded theophagists who know not what they say nor yet what they do to these mad law-menders who make it their business to guillotine us in order to render us wise and virtuous and adorers of the supreme being who has created them in his likeness in my former days i used to have mass said in the chapel at les Ilettes by a poor devil of a cure who used to say in his cups don't let's speak ill of sinners we live by em we priests unworthy as we are you must agree sir this prayer-monger held sound maxims of government we should adopt his principles and govern men as being what they are and not what we should like them to be rose thevenin had meantime drawn closer to the old man she knew he had lived on a grand scale and the thought of this gilded the ci-devant financier's present poverty which she deemed less humiliating as being due to general causes the result of the public bankruptcy she saw in him with curiosity not unmixed with respect the survival of one of those open-handed millionaires of whom her elder comrades of the stage spoke with sighs of unfeigned regret besides the old fellow in his plum-colored coat so threadbare and so well brushed pleased her by his agreeable address monsieur Breteau, she said to him we know how once upon a time in a noble park on moonlit nights you would slip into the shade of myrtle groves with actresses and dancing girls to the far-off shrilling of flutes and fiddles alas they were more lovely were they not your goddesses of the opera and the comédie française than we of to-day we poor little national actresses never think it mademoiselle returned Breteau. but believe me if one like you had been known in those days she would have moved alone as sovereign queen without a rival little as she would have desired such solitude in the park you are obligingly enough to form so flattering a picture of it was quite a rustic inn this hotel de la cloche a branch of holly hung over the great wagon doors that opened on a courtyard where fowls were always pecking about in the damp soil on the far side of this stood the house itself consisting of a ground floor and one story above crowned by a high-pitched tiled roof and with walls almost hidden under old climbing rose trees covered with blossom to the right trimmed fruit trees showed their tops above the low garden wall to the left was the stable with an outside manger and a barn supported by wooden pillars a ladder leaned against the wall here again under a shed crowded with agricultural implements and stumps of trees a white cock was keeping an eye on his hens from the top of a broken-down cabriolet the courtyard was enclosed on this side by cowsheds in front of which rose in mountainous grandeur a dunghill which at this moment a girl as broad as she was long with straw-colored hair was turning over with a pitchfork the liquid manure filled her sabots and bathed her bare feet and you could see the heels rise out of her shoes every now and then as yellow as saffron her petticoats were kilted and revealed the filth on her enormous calves and thick ankles while philippe desmaïs was staring at her surprised and tickled by the whimsicalities of nature in framing this odd example of breadth without length the landlord shouted ho there tranchez my girl go fetch some water she turned her head showing a scarlet face and a vast mouth in which one huge front tooth was missing it had needed nothing less than a bull's horn to effect a breach in that powerful jaw she stood there grinning pitchfork on shoulder 
her sleeves were rolled up and her arms as thick as another woman's thighs gleamed in the sun the table was laid in the farm kitchen where a brace of fowls was roasting they were almost done to a turn under the hood of the open fireplace above which hung two or three old fowling pieces by way of ornament the bare whitewashed room twenty feet long was lighted only through the panes of greenish glass let into the door and by a single window framed in roses near which the grandmother sat turning her spinning wheel she wore a coif and a lace frilling in the fashion of the regency her gnarled earth-stained fingers held the distaff flies clustered about her lids without her trying to drive them away as a child in her mother's arms she had seen louis the fourteenth go by in his coach sixty years ago she had made the journey to paris in a weak sing-song voice she told the tale to the three young women standing in front of her how she had seen the hotel de ville the tuileries and the samaritan and how when she was crossing the pont royal a barge loaded with apples for the marche de mal had broken up the apples had floated down the current and the river was all red with the rosy-cheeked fruit she had been told of the changes that had occurred of late in the kingdom and in particular of the coil there was betwixt the curés who had taken the oath and the non-juring curés she knew likewise that there had been wars and famines importance in the sky she did not believe the king was dead they had contrived his escape she would have it by a subterranean passage and had handed over to the headsman in his stead a man of the common people at the old woman's feet in his wicker cradle jeannot the last born of the poitrines was cutting his teeth the citoyenne thevenine lifted the cradle and smiled at the child which moaned feebly worn out with feverishness and convulsions it must have been very ill for they had sent for the doctor the citoyen pelleport who it is true being a deputy substitute to the convention asked no payment for his visits the citoyenne thevenine an innkeeper's daughter herself was in her element not satisfied with the way the farm girl had washed the plates and dishes she gave an extra wipe to the crockery and glass an extra polish to the knives and forks while the citoyenne poitrine was attending to the soup which she tasted from time to time as a good cook should elodie was cutting up into slices a four-pound loaf hot from the oven gamelin when he saw what she was doing addressed her a few days ago i read a book written by a young german whose name i have forgotten and which has been very well translated into french in it you have a beautiful young girl named charlotte who like you elodie was cutting bread and butter and like you cutting it gracefully and so prettily that at the sight the young werther fell in love with her and it ended in their marrying asked elodie no replied Evariste. it ended in werther's death by violence they dined well they were all very hungry but the fair was indifferent jean blaise complained bitterly he was a great trencherman and made it a rule of conduct to feed well and no doubt what urged him to elaborate his gluttony into a system was the general scarcity in every household the revolution had overturned the cooking pot the common run of citizens had nothing to chew upon clever folks like jean blaise who made big profits amid the general wretchedness went to the cook shop where they showed their astuteness by stuffing themselves to repletion as for Breteau, who, in this year, too, of liberty, was living on chestnuts and bread-crusts, he could remember having supped at Grimaud de la Reynière's at the near end of the Champs-Élysées. Eager to win the repute of an accomplished gourmand, he reeled off, sitting there before Dame Poitrine's bacon and cabbages, a string of artful kitchen recipes and wise gastronomic maxims. 
presently when gamelin protested that a republican scorns the pleasures of the table the old financier always a lover of antiquity gave the young spartan the true recipe for the famous black broth after dinner jean blaise who never forgot business set his itinerant academy to make studies and sketches of the inn which struck him as quite romantic in its dilapidation while philippe desmaillis and philippe de bois were drawing the cowhouses the girl tronche came out to feed the pigs the citoyen pelleporte officer of health who at the same moment appeared at the door of the farm kitchen where he had been bestowing his professional services on the poitrine baby stepped up to the artists and after complimenting them on their talents which were an honor to the whole nation pointed to the tronche girl in the middle of her porkers you see that creature he said it is not one girl it is two girls i speak by the letter understand that i was amazed at the ordinary massiveness of her bony framework and i examined her to discover she had most of the bones in duplicate in each thigh two femurs welded together in each shoulder a double humerus some of her muscles are likewise in duplicate it is a case in my view of a pair of twins associated or rather confounded together it is an interesting phenomenon i notified monsieur st hilaire of the facts and he thanked me it is a monster you see before you citoyens the people here call her the girl tranche they should say the girls tranches for there are two of them nature has these freaks good evening citoyens we shall have a storm tonight after supper by candlelight the academy blaze adjourned to the courtyard where they were joined by a son and daughter of the house in a game of blind man's bluff in which the young folks both men and women displayed a feverish energy sufficiently accounted for by the high spirits proper to their age without seeking an explanation in the wild and precarious times in which they lived when it was quite dark jean blaise proposed children's games in the farm kitchen elodie suggested the game of hunt my heart and this was agreed to unanimously under the girl's direction philippe desmaillis traced in chalk on different pieces of furniture on doors and walls seven hearts that is to say one less than there were players for old Breteau had obligingly joined the rest they danced round in a ring singing la tour prend garde and at a signal from elodie each ran to put a hand on a heart gamelin in his absent-minded clumsiness was too late to find one vacant and had to pay a forfeit the little knife he had bought for six sous at the fair of saint germain and with which he had cut the loaf for his mother in her poverty the game went on and one after another blaise elodie Brotteaux, and rose thevanine failed to touch a heart each paid a forfeit in turn a ring a reticule a little morocco-bound book a bracelet then the forfeits were raffled on elodie's lap and each player had to redeem his property by showing his society accomplishments singing a song or reciting a poem Brotteaux chose the speech of the patron saint of france in the first canto of the puccelli je suis denis et son de mon métier j'aime la gaule the citoyen blaise though a far less well-read man replied without hesitation with richemont's repos Monsieur le son se niti pas la peine de bondonner le céleste domaine. At that time, everybody was reading and re-reading with delight the masterpiece of the French Ariosto. The most serious of men smiled over the loves of Jeanne and Dunois, the adventures of Agnes and Monrose, and the exploits of the winged ass. Every man of cultivation knew by heart the choice of passages of this diverting and philosophical poem 
Evariste Gamelin himself, stern-tempered as he was, when he recovered his two-penny knife from Elodie's lap, recited the going down of Grisbordon into hell, with a good deal of spirit. The citoyenne Thévenin sang without accompaniment Nina's ballad, Quand le bien ami reviendra. Desmaïs sang to the tune of La Feria d'Ondaine, Quelques un pirin le cochon de ce bon saint antoine et lui mettant un capuchon ils en firent un moine ils n'ont coûté que la façon all the same desmaïs was in a pensive mood for the moment he was ardently in love with all the three women with whom he was playing forfeits and was casting burning looks of soft appeal at each in turn he loved rose thevanine for her grace her supple figure her clever acting her roving glances and her voice that went straight to a man's heart he loved elodie because he recognized instinctively her rich endowment of temperament and her kind complacent humor he loved julienne hassard despite her colorless hair her pale eyelashes her freckles and her thin bust because like dunois in voltaire's puccelli he was always ready in his generosity to give the least engaging a token of love and the more so in this instance because she appeared to be for the moment the most neglected and therefore the most amenable to his attentions without a trace of vanity he was never sure of these being agreeable nor yet was he ever sure of their not being so he never omitted to offer them on the chance taking advantage of the opportunities offered by the game of forfeits he made some tender speeches to rose thevenin who showed no displeasure but could hardly say much in return under the jealous eye of the citoyen jean blaise he spoke more warmly still to the citoyen elodie whom he knew to be pledged to gamelin but he was not so exacting as to want a heart all to himself elodie could never care for him but she thought him a handsome fellow and did not altogether succeed in hiding the fact from him finally he whispered his most ardent vows in the ear of the citoyen hussard which she received with an air of bewildered stupefaction that might equally express abject submission or chill indifference and desmahis did not believe she was indifferent to him the inn contained only two bedrooms both on the first floor and opening on the same landing that to the left the better of the two boasted a flowered paper and a looking-glass the size of a man's hand the gilt frame of which had been blackened by generations of flies since the days when louis the fourteenth was a child in it under sprigged muslin curtains stood two beds with down pillows coverlets and counterpanes this room was reserved for the three citoyennes when the time came to retire desmahis and the citoyenne hassard each holding a bedroom candlestick wished each other good night on the landing the amorous engraver quickly passed a note to the colorman's daughter beseeching her to come to him when everybody was asleep in the garret which was over the citoyenne's chamber with judicious foresight he had taken care in the course of the day to study the lie of the land and explore the garret in question which was full of strings of onions apples and pears left there to ripen with a swarm of wasps crawling over them chests and old trunks he had even noticed an old bed of sacking decrepit and now disused as far as he could see and a palisade all ripped up and jumping with fleas facing the citoyenne's room was another of very modest dimensions containing three beds where the men of the party were to sleep in such comfort as they might 
but Breteau, who was a sybarite, betook himself to the barn to sleep among the hay. As for Jean Blaise, he had disappeared. Dubois and Gamelin were soon asleep. Desmahis went to bed, but no sooner had the silence of the night, like a stagnant pool, enveloped the house, than the engraver got up and climbed the wooden staircase, which creaked under his bare feet. The door of the garret stood ajar. From within came a breath of stifling hot air, mingled with the acrid smell of rotting fruit. On the broken-down bed of sacking lay the girl Tronche, fast asleep with her mouth open. Desmahis returned to his room, where he slept soundly and peacefully till daybreak. On the morrow, after a last day's work, the itinerant academy took the road back to Paris. When Jean Blaise paid mine hosts in Isignance, the citoyen Potrine complained bitterly that he never saw what he called square money nowadays, and promised a fine candle to the beggar who'd bring back the yellow boys again. He offered the citoyens their pick of flowers. At his orders, the girl Tranche, mounted on a ladder in her sabots and kilted skirts, giving full view of her noble, much bespattered calves, and was indefatigable in cutting blossoms from the climbing roses that covered the wall. From her huge hands, the flowers fell in showers, in torrents, in avalanches, into the laps of Elodie, Julien, and Rose Thévenin, who held out their skirts to catch them. The carriage was full of them. The whole party, when they got back at nightfall, carried armfuls home, and their sleeping and waking were perfumed with their fragrance. End of chapter 10